Exodus chapter 20. The goal in preaching through the Ten Commandments was to take each commandment just one Sunday. I just cannot promise that. Uh, Last week, I rushed through the first commandment and probably should have given it two weeks. So just as a a word of of, uh, preparation, I may not be able to give the second commandment just one message. Of course, preach the whole year on the ten words, the Decalogue. We do come to the second commandment. Do you remember the enumeration of the ten? Let's together. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And basically we should say to bow down and worship it. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. An abbreviation of the abbreviations of the summary of God's law. And you remember the Lord Jesus uh, reminds us that there's actually an abbreviation of the ten summaries. And he abbreviates them with two. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so he divides the commandments into man's relationship with God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and man's relationship with man. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And most are, Christians, I think, are in agreement that the first four um, unpack our relationship with God and the last six are on our relationship with man. No one really knows uh, how these were written on the tables of stone, but the idea is that since it's a covenant between God and man, each party was to receive one copy. And uh, so it's, it may very well be true that the Ten Commandments were written in full on each stone, uh, front and back, we're told. And uh, perhaps the first four were on the front and the last six were on the back, but we're not exactly sure how that went as well. So the, the people of God were to receive one copy and the Lord would take the other copy. We come, though, to the second commandment uh, this morning, found in Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I The Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them, that is, thousands of generations of them, that love me 
and keep my commandments. It's the second longest, as far as the words are concerned, of the Ten Commandments. As you know, the Fourth Commandment is the longest uh, given most words in the Decalogue. So I have quoted to you the, the second commandment. And we do believe it is the second. It is not to be combined with the first as the first commandment. The first commandment deals with who we should worship. The second commandment deals really with how we shall worship that one that was, was uh, revealed to us in the first commandment. The Lord our God is to be worshipped a certain way. Um, notice they're both in the prohibition form. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. The precept form, as we read, uh, as Dan read this morning from our bulletin, is thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. That's the precept form of the ten, of the first commandment. So, for every Prohibition, there's the corresponding precept. And for every precept, there's the corresponding prohibition. So, the second commandment says, this is how you're not to worship God. But the corresponding precept would be, this is how we worship God. Which is not spelled out, in other, but it is in other places. If... If you've read the Westminster Confession uh, or the Catechisms, the larger catechism will give the, the second commandment, but actually the first thing that they'll unpack, question 108 asks, what are the duties required? What we're given in this text here and in Deuteronomy are the, are the sins forbidden or the forbidden uh, thing to not have any um, graven images of God. But the duties required are the precept. But let me just give you first what it says about the sins forbidden. Now, it's, it's quite a list, but ponder it, it. It's dealing with how we are not to worship God. The sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, and anywhere approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself. Tolerating a false religion, the making any representation of God of all or of any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever, all worshiping of it or God in it or by it the making of any representation of feigned deities and all worship of them or service belonging to them, all superstitious devices, corrupting the Word of God or the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented and taking up ourselves, taken up of ourselves or received by tradition from others, though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent or any other pretense whatsoever, simony, purchase of, of, of uh, religious uh, offices, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath appointed. You got that down? <laughs> Obviously that takes quite a study of the Bible to, uh, and many verses 
to, uh, to see where they, they uh, were able to enumerate all those things that are forbidden. So again, the first commandment, who we should worship, the Lord God alone. Not that He's at the top and we may have other deities beneath. It's not a hierarchy. It's, thou shalt have no other gods in my face, literally. Uh, not above me as if we may have some below Him. But it's saying that the Lord alone is to be worshipped. And Jesus said that when the devil said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And the Lord said, it is written. So he's saying that there are many precept forms of the first commandment, but he said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only, not other deities under Him, but Him only shalt thou serve. And then so you see how the second commandment flows from the first commandment. Now, if we're to worship the Lord alone, how are we to worship Him? What is worship and, and what are the means by which you allow us to approach Him? What are the means by which we bow down and worship Him and serve Him in our lives? And so that is what's really being dealt with in number two. Number three would be why we should worship the Lord. Uh, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, because He's holy, He's righteous, and so on. And then number four, there's a time. When should we worship the Lord? Now, people say, of course we worship Him every day, but... We are finite people. And he said we're to work six days and worship the seven. So he says to set aside one day in seven to worship him. So the when. And someone would ask, well, isn't there the where? Of course, the Bible addresses that as well. As far as uh, in our hearts and uh, publicly, uh, whether it be in a building or not. So that is certainly touched upon. Um, and that would be perhaps under the fourth commandment as well. So, as one man said, this is not saying that, it's not, it's not a contradiction with the first commandment. It's not saying that we're to, not to make graven images to bow down to them as if they're another God. That's dealt with in the first commandment. This commandment is dealing with any human attempt to contain and limit God Himself trying to make a form of God that will be an aid to worship Him. You know, the Lord is the only one that made any likeness of Himself. And you remember, Jesus touched upon that. They said, shall we give taxes to Caesar or not? And He said, remember, show me a coin. And He said, "What? there's an image and likeness on this coin. There's an image in superscription on this coin. The image is Caesar, and there was a writing on it about how we're to honor Caesar or something. And he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. And obviously, they knew what he was saying. Perhaps he was pointing to the people when he said that. In other words, you and I are made in God's image. And we have the superscription of God's law written on our consciences. That's the only image of God that He has ever created, but He doesn't want us to worship the likeness of God, any man. But He's saying, you don't make any likeness of Me. And the 
Precept would be certainly John 4.24. God is a spirit. What likeness shall you make of him? He says, Isaiah, Isaiah 40 verse 18 says, How will you liken me? A bird? A beast? A human being? Yes, we're all made in his image. But that image is one image of his, of his love, of his benevolence and so on. But he's saying, I've made the likeness. You are not to make any likeness of me. And yet, obviously, this was something that all the religions around them did. They always made images of their deities. And, as it were, an aid to worship their deities. And the Lord is, is, is forbidding that. So, I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But, and I want us to keep Exodus 19 in mind, where he prepared the people for the giving of God's law by teaching them, you come before me to hear my word with gratitude for my grace. I've delivered you from Egypt with reverence for who I am and all the visual and audio effects there and with sincere obedience and consistent obedience to me. Uh, you come uh, prepared to obey what I have to tell you in my covenant. You remember he sent Moses back down the mount because... Moses felt the people were going to obey, but God says, no, I know them better than you do. And so the point there is that you and I may feel that we're sincere and wanting to obey God's Word, but we need to double that thought and pray for a true sincerity before God. So, the Lord came to them as a sovereign, saving God. And you say, where are His terms? It's a, if it's a covenant, He gives us only... Terms for us. Thou shalt worship me this way. Thou shalt love your neighbor that way. And so on. Where are his terms? Well, we have to remember, he's the one making the covenant. It's a unilateral covenant in one way, but yet it's a covenant, so it's a two-way agreement. But he's the one that's setting the terms. When we have, when we have a, a bank loan or something, there's terms the bank will agree to in the terms that will be because we're equals uh, a mortgage or um, your, your, your covenant with your workplace a marriage covenant between equals between a husband and a wife so there's terms on both ends but God is not an equal to you and me He sets the terms though in His love and His condescension He says I'll be your God I'll be faithful to you. I will sanctify you. I will bless you. He, he, put, he, he basically covenants Himself to you and me. Sets terms for Himself to be faithful to us. Indeed, great is His faithfulness, isn't He? A faithful God. So you look at this commandment and you see these simple divisions. The prohibition or prohibitions... You see reasons for the prohibitions and, and disguised, may we say, because of the, you're going to see a corresponding precept. So I have to deal with those three things. Not just the prohibitions and the reasons for the prohibitions, which we read in, the, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but I feel like it, we need to also consider the duties required the corresponding precept to the commandment. So that's why it's going to take longer than if we just 
dealt with the two divisions there. We read together in Deuteronomy 4, by the way, a a disclaimer that Moses gives for the Lord to the people. Three times. You read it once or twice. I read it once. Three times it says, you did not see a similitude when you were at the at the uh, Mount Sinai. You didn't see any form. You saw lightning. You heard thunder. You heard trumpet noise. Uh, you saw a tempest. You did not see any form of me, whether it be a, of heaven above or earth beneath or waters under the earth. That's the point he's making, which helps us understand that the second commandment is dealing with how we worship God, not that, we're forbid, we're, that, that he forbids us from worshiping upper, other gods. That's in commandment one. He's saying to you and me, we're to worship him spiritually and scripturally. In other words, he's invisible. He does not want any visible manifestation of himself because what would it be? Again, one likeness he made man in his image. So, here we go. And please put your watch in your pocket. Not that I'm going to be longer, but that I don't think I'm going to be able to give this um, the right respect in one week. So, this is the, the prohibition of worshiping the true God the true and only God falsely. That's what this commandment is teaching. uh, Forbidding us to worship the true and only God, number one, commandment one, falsely. And commanding us to worship the one and only God truthfully, biblically, rightly. So you've got both the prohibition and the precept. Now, when he says, thou shalt not make into thee any graven image, that's the word for sculpture, a carved work, whether it be whether it was metal or of wood or of any other material, plastic, you, you uh, apply it in 2022. There are many other kinds of materials. We're not to make any graven image of him. And again, I want us to, to consider what Isaiah says. You don't have to turn there, but Isaiah chapter 40 reads this way, verses 19 and 20. The workman melteth, or I'm sorry, verse 18, to whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He is so impoverished that he hath no oblation. He chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundation of the earth? I'm the one that sits on the, the circle of the earth. The, nation, the inanimates of the nations are as grasshoppers. So what he's saying is, To whom will ye liken me, or shall I be equal? saith the Lord, the Holy One, verse 25, and so on. So he's saying, it's, he, it's, he's being sarcastic here. He's, he's saying it's, it's just... Uh, um, insane to make any visible uh, likeness of the Lord. Now, the, the, the 
The verbal form is what he uses when he says hew, H-E-W, hew two tables of stone. So he's saying, I don't want you to hew anything, but we would say any other way in which you might, we might make an image of God. Uh, whether it with machines today, nothing should, should, should be made and say, this is an image of God. You say, why is that? Well, it detracts from loving Him. Would you want someone to say, hey, I made something. Now, we, we see little children that do that. They'll, they'll draw a picture of, of you or me on a piece of paper. And say, Whoa, you know, that didn't even come close. But they made their attempt. But it's okay. You know, they're making an image of me. Uh, and we're not making an image of God. We want certainly to teach them that that isn't to be the case. But again... If someone was serious and they showed you some picture they said of you and it was just so far off and so so insulting. I mean, that's the point that the Lord's making here. You'll insult me. Anything we can make, uh, any so-called image of God would be so beneath, so insulting, offensive to God. Again, God is offensive. He's offended if we break any of these commandments. And so... Um, the Lord is, is teaching us to not make any likeness of the Lord. That's the point. You didn't see a similitude of the Lord. That was His point in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're not to make any visible appearance of the Lord's person. Not that He has any visible appearances. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, he may appear with visual aids and effects or accompaniment like he did at Sinai. He appeared as, in, he, he had lightning, he had thunder, he had storm, fire, trumpet, angels, clouds, wind. All that accompanied his presence, but they were not images of God. So obviously we're not to worship lightning or thunder or the sun, moon, and the stars. I mean, the Psalms will say, as if we're speaking to the created things, you're to worship the Lord, and yet people have turned around and worship them and worship creatures, as Romans says, instead of the Creator who is glorious. So he's saying, you don't need any aids, any pictures of me. Now someone will say, what about the bread and the wine as emblems of the Lord's body and blood? They're not to be worshipped as they are. How often are they in the Roman church, lifted up and, and uh, people genuflect before them and they, and they uh, uh, wickedly say that these things turn into the body and blood of Jesus. They are symbols. God made them as symbols, not as likenesses of Him, but symbols of the body and the blood of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difference. We're not to invent any symbols of God, pictures of God. So we have to be very careful. It's interesting how I was listening to Al Mohler, uh, who's the president of the Southern Baptist um, um, Church, the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, of course, we have, he knows he's, he was very careful, but he said, you're not going to find any crosses on our campus. That's an interesting thing for a Baptist to say that. But... What has happened, we have, we have said, okay, somewhere along the line, someone made crosses and said, this is a picture of, of the Christianity. This is a picture of the Gospel. And then, of course, 
then people began to put an image or a likeness, a person on the cross, a crucifix. And we have to be careful. Are we commanded to make crosses? See, this is the key. Are we commanded to make fish? Are we commanded whatever other things that we might have, trinkets? I'm not saying that it's that we that that we should we're forbidden to make crosses, but we have to be careful. Do we worship the cross? If we could take the cross away, would we miss something? Is has it been an idol to us? So many some of us who've grown up in Roman Catholicism remember we often bowed before crosses and crucifixes. And in Europe at least not so much North America, you're not going to see crosses in the old churches at the top. You see roosters. Because Protestant Europe, way back, saw the cross as Romish, as idolatry. So we have to be careful. Roosters reminded us we ought to confess the Lord and not to deny Him as Peter. But having said that, as Al Mohler had a disclaimer on his briefing the other day. Uh, it, I'm not saying we ought not to have crosses, but he said uh, the, the architects and the builders of this campus did not put any crosses on the buildings or on the top of buildings. You're not going to see them. We have to be careful. Um, now, some will say, well, doesn't this forbid art and photography? It says we ought not to make any hewn images of things in, in, the, in the skies or things on the earth or things under the earth? What's the answer there? Well, first of all, the Lord had carved cherubim on top of the mercy seat. Angels were carved and made of gold. He had pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and bells of gold on the hems of the priest's garments. He had Moses make a serpent of brass in the wilderness, Numbers chapter 21. So is there a contradiction? No. It's the context of worship. These should not be made, any image of God should not be made, and none of those images should that are made by you and me, whether it's photography or art, or these carved trinkets, you know, on... We, 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 I, there's, a, there's a place straight down the road from where Ben lives in South Carolina. It's, it's called um, Patio Creations. A lot of creations out of, out of um, um, concrete. So we've got a concrete um, bunny rabbit in, on, on the deck and a concrete turtle and a concrete bear. Now, that's not forbidden. I don't bow down and worship the bunny rabbit or the bear. And, and uh, it's not an image created to aid our worship toward God. It's not an image of God. He made these things. So it's saying in the second commandment, thou shalt not bow down and worship them. It's the context of worship. It's not the context of, of having pictures in your fam- of your family or... or uh, the cherubim in the, in the temple and in the tabernacle and so on. So there's not a contradiction there. Why are we making these images and taking these photographs? I trust it's not for worship, for devotion, for trusting in them. 
or serving them. And so we understand that the Lord is not forbidding uh, art and photography and so on. And so this is the uh, prohibition of this commandment that the Lord is invisible, the Lord is spirit, and we are to worship Him as the invisible God. And you say, well, I want to see someone. I want to see something. What did Jesus say to Thomas? Blessed are they that have not seen me and yet believed. Our faith is not dependent on a physical object of God. Our faith is dependent on the Lord, who He is, the Spirit. And He has not a body like you and I, but the Son of God took a body like you and I, and yet He is not... Uh, we, are, we are to be careful that you know, some people ask, well, can we make pictures? Can we draw pictures of Jesus and, and make images of Jesus? Well, we have to be so careful. He was a man, yes. But is that forbidding? Is that, is that forbidden? And that's a question that every Christian has to face. Jesus is God. And yet you see so many so-called pictures. How do we know what he looked like? And any picture we might draw of Jesus will be subpar. And so, I take the position, leave it far behind, far away. And, and so often you'll find in, in the artistry, some people, for instance, in books, will only show the back and not the front. But can we be too careful, brother and sister? We need to pray that we'll have wisdom in, in knowing what this command means and, and how to be obedient and how to obey the precept. Now the second point, after we consider the prohibition of any aids to worship the Lord, the reasons for the prohibition is pretty serious, isn't it? Thou shalt not make into thee any graven image to bow down and worship it, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now the blessing is the third thing, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So he ends this section with reasons why we should not, uh, we reasons why we should be obedient to the Lord. The first is he's jealous, the jealousy of God. Jealousy is not a sin. Jealousy is, you can, you can, you can sin with being jealous of someone. Uh, jealousy in the positive end is being zealous for his glory, zealous for his honor. And quite the question might come, why would he be jealous for a non-existent image? If he doesn't have any image. Because people make them and call them God. Even when Aaron had that golden calf made. That was not a violation of the first commandment. Aaron said to them after the golden calf was made, these be God that, that, that brought you out of Egypt. In other words, you say, how could a, a bull represent God? Wasn't that a worship of another God? No, because the strength of the bull, for instance. It was through God's strength that He brought us out of Egypt. And the bull was an Egyptian God. And so they... It was, it was a syncretism, wasn't it? But they were saying, this is an image of the true God. 
They weren't worshipping a different God. They were saying, this is an image of the true God. And we need something to see, Aaron. And he accommodated them. And what did Moses do to that golden calf? He burned and pulverized it and made the people drink from the water as the, as the elements were, were floating down the stream, as it were. It's, he's jealous for his glory. People revere these things and they must have them. I remember when someone came to church and they said, where are all your stained glass windows and your crosses and all the paraphernalia? I need that. It, I, I, it's too plain. I mean, that's what, again, we have to ask, if, if something was taken away, whatever it might be, can we live without it? We, in, we, we talk about Romanism having all their trinkets, but we've got our trinkets too in our houses and in, in our churches. He's zealous for His glory. It's a distorted picture of Him. Not even a picture at all, but it's, it's a false picture. It's offensive, insulting, and demeaning. It's trying to domesticate God to our level whether it be something in the heavens or the earth or beneath the earth. Even angel worship was, was something that Paul was warning Christians about in Colossae. Worship of human beings. Worship of, of uh, Caesar was offensive to, the Ro- to, to Christians, but normal for the Romans. And why would he say beneath? the waters of the earth. Well, the demons, the demon world is something that is real and the devil's behind all of these idols. We need to be careful that we don't externalize our worship of God to detract from our love and devotion and fear of Him. So jealousy, God is jealous. Just like you would be jealous of your own honor if someone was was using a picture to aid you, as in, and you're right there. And even a, even a picture of us is, is somewhat a, 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 a detraction, especially if we're right there. But again, we don't use pictures, I trust, as an aid to, work, to, uh, to love, but certainly as a remembrance of our loved ones. The second reason for the prohibition is Judgment, which is a little bit, a little bit of uh, fire under our feet too. He visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now people will bristle at that and say, "Well, doesn't the Bible say your children and grandchildren shouldn't won't suffer for your sins?" Well, again, this isn't a contradiction to it. The point is that our sin is going to affect. Our descendants. And it's as if the Lord is saying, here are the effects that you're producing by your idolatry and by your breach of my words. And whether we like it or not, it's true that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren walk in our footsteps. You know, the, the age-old picture of, of the, the, the child on the, on the seashore in the sand stepping in our footsteps. It's just, you think about Abraham and, and his fear of man, and Isaac repeated it. And you think of how our sins are repeated in our children and those who are, we're mentoring, whether it be a fear of man. I remember 
um, we were teaching two-year-old Sunday school down in South Carolina, and we were asking the little ones for, uh, for any prayer requests. And remember the one boy that said, "Pray for my daddy." Um, um, I don't know exactly how he said it, but he said, "Pray for my daddy that he won't be afraid or something." Um, he, he he said, "My daddy." Uh, is afraid of approaching someone who's, I guess, offended them. I don't remember how he said this, but he was saying, pray for my daddy. He was sensing his daddy was a coward. And so it was, it was something that concerned him. And uh, there was something we heard recently, too, about, about someone that was crying to an individual. And he said, what's wrong? And he said, he said, I just wish my daddy and mommy would not argue. That's going to sink in the heart of a young person. And usually what happens is when they get married, they argue. It's repeated. It's just something that is like glue. Our sin can be like glue that sticks to our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And so you and I need to ask ourselves, what is our easily besetting sin? Is it anger? Is it cowardice? Is it unbelief? Those things are going to be repeated in our children and those that we're affecting. And our prayer is, oh God, and think about the mercy of God here. He says only the third and fourth generation. Whereas blessing upon thousands. So there's not even a comparison. So instead of focusing and bristling about the fact that our sin affects others, He's going to judge others, which is really just the fact that He's judging our sin that has been contagious to our children and our descendants. But it should be a motivation to you and me to repent of our sins and to obey God's words, whether it be having no other gods or no aids to worshiping the true God, being careful about not taking God's name in vain and being careful about keeping the Sabbath day holy and right down the line. Whenever we disobey God, it's an exhibition of our hatred. That's hard for us to fathom. It's not a show of love if I steal. It's a show that I'm disregarding God. Any disobedience on my part is a disregarding of God. It's simple as that. Didn't he say... He that spareth the rod hateth his son. What do you mean? I love my son. No, in that instance, and in that regard, you're disregarding God. And by not disciplining your child, you're creating a monster. Is that loving him by creating a monster? No. And so, we need to see it in plain, in the plainness of, of the matter. We disregard God's pleasure. It's a show of hatred. But we regard God's displeasure and it's also a show of hatred. Jesus said, I do always the things that please Him. And obviously the corresponding prohibition is there. I do not the things that displease Him. Sin is contagious. Like father, like son. And the question is, do we care for our descendants? It's not just simple. It's not the first is true. Do we love the Lord? Are, are we jealous for Him who is jealous? The second is, do we really care for our descendants who walk in our footsteps and repeat our sins? 
It's a motivation, a reason for this prohibition. See God's kindness? See His kindness? The family's in the second commandment. And the family is in the fourth commandment, in the fifth commandment, and it's underneath all the commandments. But your children's spiritual welfare is at stake. Second commandment. Obedience is a blessing to your children. Disobedience is a curse to our children. Even as believers, there's still that consequence. You say, does that mean they'll go to hell if I disobey this? Well, ultimately, if God is, is, is visiting the iniquity upon them, well, that might happen unless there's a repentance on our part. The Lord in His mercy can stop the unbelieving to eternal damnation in our descendants. But there's also the temporary consequence, though, even of us who may have children that are saved, they can have temporal chastening if they repeat our sins and they don't see that we have repented. And we should be confessing our sins to our children and say, I don't want you to go down the wrong path. You know I've been like this or that, and these have been my easily besetting sins. Our children know who we are. They know our sins. You can't, we can't hide them from them. And we need to say, forgive me. Don't go that path. Don't repeat my sins. Look what's happened to me. And I, I plead with you to repent and to follow the truth. And thirdly, the blessing. Look at the where grace, where sin abounded, grace is much more abound. Showing mercy or doing mercy. That's not the same word for love. That's, the word mercy is covenant love. Showing covenant love unto thousands, that is thousands of generations of them that love me and keep my commandments. What he's saying is, I'm going to visit your children, who, I'm going to visit your children, those, you who are obeying me. I'm going to visit your children with regeneration. I'm going to visit your children with sanctification. I'm going to bless them if you take my word seriously. That we see the acid test of love is obedience. What is that song that we sing? Uh, obedience is the very best way to show that I believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands and doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. For obedience is the very best way to show that I believe. I need that in my soul. Do we want grace, God's grace upon our descendants? This should be a strong motivation. I want a godly family tree. I want a godly church legacy. How long will this church go? And will it, if it goes long, will the, will the next minister, the next congregation be godly? Will we care whether we obey God or not? Will we sink into a social gospel and worship God any way we want? You can, you, you can find all kinds of, of invented worship. Just look at the flavor of the churches around us. We've got to be careful about ecumenism. They're wanting me to, to invoke the meetings once every four or five times at Boston Town Hall. That's a civic duty of mine. 
but they want me to take the numbers of the ministers in town and if I can't make it, to call them and take my place. I can't do that. Can I ask a Roman Catholic man that that promotes the worship of Mary and popery and ask him to pray in my place? I'm promoting idolatry. You say, that's bigoted. That's too, too harsh. Do we want God's blessing? We want God's blessing upon us. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You see that? The Lord doesn't want this, this, this starchy obedience. He wants a hearty obedience. He wants it from the heart. He loved us so much that He gave His Son. He redeemed us from the slave market of Egypt. Therefore, out of love, thou shalt have no other gods before Me. These are kind words of God. These are words that bless us. He's saying, you're drinking water. You're not drinking poison by being obedient to Me. If you disobey, you're drinking poison. If we look at it that way, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Well, May the Lord bless His Word to us. These are heavy things, but I trust that what we're getting is the Lord loves us. He made His, His Word so clear, so simple, with these ten summaries that are easier to remember, to memorize, to think about. And then He even gave us two summaries of the ten summaries that we should love Him. That should be our main motivation. Not a works righteousness, not to gain marks. Oh, that we would just love Him because of who He is. Because He saved us from our sins. He's become our Heavenly Father. There's none like unto Him. Oh, that we might have hearty, but thorough and consistent obedience. We say, oh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that disobedience isn't going to hurt me. Oh, brother and sister, remind ourselves, a little bit of poison is going to hurt. And we should not have the attitude a little bit of sin. It's okay. But let us say, oh God, keep me far from sin. Keep me far away. Keep me close to Thee. Amen. Let's pray.